0: Hey, it's Looney, voiceover professional, here to remind you, this is the JT and Looney Podcast. Stephen A. Smith joins us live
1: from ESPN. Stephen A., good to hear from you.
2: My brother, I called up because I was driving, I was listening to you, and I wanted the world to know that I'm here to validate exactly what you said about yourself, being no-nonsense, not playing any games. You're just going to tell it straight.
0: Here we go.
1: And we don't know what episode it is, or do you...
0: I think it's 26. Episode 26.
1: As we're recording this podcast, Carlos Beltran was relieved as the manager of the Mets, a guy who dreamed his entire life. He was a brilliant ballplayer, by the way. Beltran Mm -hmm. was great, but he wanted to be the manager of the Mets, had the job, and now the Mets
0: understood that he was clearly involved with this at the highest level. You were on fire on Mad Dog Radio talking about this. Let's listen to some of it.
1: We are living in the TMZification of the United States of America. It's the TMZification of the United States of America, where you can have race baiters on radio getting more clicks, and their bosses love more clicks, get more clicks. But he's a race baiter, he's on the edge. Don't matter. Get me more clicks. And we could have celebrities breaking up, cheating on each other, and then remarrying different people who cheated on their spouses, and we'll give them a new TV show. They could be on The Voice, and we can give them another show, The Kardashians, Kim and Kanye, and all the girls can have relationships and you know outside their marriages or with new people that they're just hooking up with to have children and then they break up with two months later but it's fine because we are living in the tm of america Hallelujah to TMZ. If we didn't have TMZ, where would we be today? We would not be able to cover all the gossip and all the scandals that are happening in our lives and around our lives today. We need TMZ. We need gossip rags. We have scandals in the United States of America, especially in sports. Where would we be on sports talk radio? If I opened up the phones right now and asked you to call in on an NBA game, you'd have no interest. You'd change the channel, and you'd go find another show. If I talked about a hockey game, which is a passion to me, you'd turn the dial and my bosses would call me and say, why did you talk hockey? People are calling us saying you should be talking about something else. We are living in a society now fueled by scandal and gossip, and it runs sports talk radio. And I can handle it because I'm hardcore. That's why they brought me to Mad Dog. I'm, I'm into sports. I don't do comedy. I don't waste time. I don't talk to people that are going to waste your time. I run a fast-paced show every night. And I understand that gossip is now necessary. So for a guy like Carlos Beltran, he could be a great guy. But many people know for a fact that he was on a cheating team involved in a scandal where he was one of the ringleaders. And you want him to be the manager of the Mets, the little puppies, the Mets, the little puppies in New York that'll never be the big dog, my Yankees. You want that team to continue a scandal and hire someone who's in trouble with to the letter of the law with baseball, but baseball can't go after him. They can only mention his name the way they mention Big Poppy. In the Mitchell report, but for whatever reason, no one at the Boston Globe wanted to investigate and connect the dots. So I'm here to connect the dots and investigate for the people that don't have the guts to do it. Like this guy, John Henry, the owner of the cheating Red Sox. The cheating Red Sox of 2018 who mocked the Yankees, made fun of other teams as they were kissing the World Series trophy, and now he's got to get to the point where he's going out here. Listen to John Henry forced to have this press
0: conference. Since joining the Red Sox, Alex Cora has been one of the many people who we work with that has consistently put the
2: organization ahead of their own interests. He did that yesterday as we discussed how to move forward.
1: He owns the Boston Globe, and he doesn't have investigative reporters who can go out and find this story. I have to go to Jeff Passan. I have to go to Ken Rosenthal. I have to go to other outlets because the Boston Globe can't figure this out on their own. Stephen A. Smith joins us live from ESPN. Stephen A., good to hear from you.
2: My brother, how are you? I called up because I was driving. I was listening to you. And I wanted the world to know that I'm here to validate exactly what you said about yourself being no nonsense, not playing any games. You ain't trying to be comedic or anything. You're just gonna tell it straight. I try to be a little bit funnier, but the bottom line is, you know how straight, how much of a straight shooter I am. There is no way in hell that any that 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 that, that Carlos Beltran's head shouldn't roll unless he's found to be completely innocent of this. As far as I'm concerned, he's complicit. Alex Cora was clearly complicit. The Houston Astros, A.J. Hitch, the GM, definitely should have been gone. And, oh, by the way, I want to know the names. I want names of the players who were complicit. You're not pounding a trash can to play music. You were pounding the trash can to give a signal to these dudes about what pitch was coming, that's what you were doing to benefit them at the batter's box. That means those hitters who were listening to that sound, who knew what that sound meant, and more importantly were reacting to it and following its lead were complicit in this whole scam. For the just a manager and a GM to pay the price, or the two managers and a GM to pay the price, potentially three managers, whatsoever as far as I'm concerned is utterly ridiculous I don't give a damn what resistance the players association is going to give you if you're the commissioner's office I want names who the hell was complicit and get them to
1: Do we care anymore, Stephen A., about the history of this sport and the great records that were set up by honorable men who were called off to war? We're sitting there, uh, black players who couldn't come into this league and had to go to the Negro Leagues before they were allowed to play set brilliant records, and now we have a steroid scandal, and now we're living in a scandal of technology. And some people are like, hey, We'll get through it. We'll come out on the other side. It's not the end of the world. Someone has to hold the cheaters accountable.
2: JT, here's what I'm going to tell you, and this is going to sadden you because you're old school. There are a lot of people in this world that still care about history and those historical figures who were pioneers for so many issues for all of us in this nation. Here's the problem even though there are people who care about that. They are outnumbered and outweighed cachet-wise
0: by a new generation
2: who's ignorant to the history, do not give a damn, and they are what John Cheney once told me he called the microwave society. Everybody is about now. They're not about yesteryear. They're not about yesterday. They're about today. They damn near could give a damn about tomorrow. That's who we are at the mercy of as we speak right now, and there is simply no way to get around that. When you do television, for example, your target audience, the primary, audi- the primary target for advertisers and sponsors, Most times it's 18 to 34, they'll tell you 25 to 39, but what they will never tell you are it's the old school guys that have been around and what have you. That's not who you're targeting. You're targeting a younger generation, not only because they have some money, but because they're the children of those who do have money, and they will compel their parents to spend money on what they want their parents to spend money on. So the bottom line is, the 18 to 34 demographic, to the 25 to 49 demographic, that's everybody's target in today's generation. It might be sad, but it's the absolute truth.
1: Wrapping it up with Stephen A. What do we do to the guys that we like, that you like, that you interview on First Take or on radio or wherever you are courtside? You like them a lot. They've proven to be your friends, and then they go through these personal transgressions like Antonio Brown, A.J. Hinch, Al LaCora. How do we find a way to distinguish between the good guys who get in trouble that we have to cover and the bad guys who who just don't win at the level of the Cora, the Hinch, the A.B. when he was a superstar playing for the Steelers. It's the TMZification of sports we're living in right now, Stephen
2: A. By chronicling their actions, but yes. not character assassinating them. Don't get personal. Don't get into who they are because you don't know, and because if you do that, they'll always have plausible deniability. What they can never escape, however, is their actions, what they actually do. And you limiting your critique to their actions and how their actions are disseminated to the masses, but you don't get personal, it's indefensible. They'll be sensitive anyway. They may hate you anyway. God knows I know about that stuff. But in the end, if you don't get personal and you stick to the business at hand, which means their actions – and how it impacts their careers and the lives and careers of others around them, as long as you limit it to that on a strictly professional level, ain't a damn thing that they can say to you that should disrupt you sleeping very, very well at night. And that's all that should matter to us.
1: Thanks for giving us the adrenaline to match mine to kick off this show on Mad Dog Sports Radio. Really appreciate it.
2: My brother. No problem. Take it easy, man.
0: That's you. JT and Stephen a on mad dog radio. Wow. Good stuff. I'm happy. We can include that on
1: this podcast. So I'm working on mad dog sports radio at night, eight to midnight Pacific. You might say, why not eight to 11? I don't know. They want me to work till midnight. It's four (laughs) hours. It's, It's four hours as you can tell with my voice and Stephen a, who we worked with at a previous network just called in randomly on the way home. And he's the number one, not number two, not Mount Rushmore, the number one name in media right now so it all goes back to loyalty and following up the last podcast that we had a quick relationship meeting on the radio
0: yeah he worked at fox sports radio with us
1: yeah and he's been pretty loyal and that was nice that he could check in but you know to put a bow on the scandal what i'm trying to do now is take this story forward and this is this might sound a little bit bizarre but i think this could help pete rose because i've been trying to find a way like a few other people to get Pete Rose into the hall of fame, full reinstatement. And it's all based on forgiveness. That's the only topic. It's not about, you know, gambling as a manager and not a player lying about it to everybody, writing a book and coming clean. We all know that it's old news, right? It's 30 years ago, 30. We agree to apologize and forgive politicians, rock stars and movie stars who go to rehab and come out people involved with domestic violence who, come out people who athletes who kill dogs and then we forgive them and put them on television so we're at a point now where this scandal because there's gambling involved and here's why all the people who bet on the astros for or against them the red sox all of those bets were tainted and the athletes and the managers and the guy banging the garbage can and the guy holding up the camera and stealing the signs all of that they're all complicit they're all involved in a scandal that you can tie back into gambling. So they affected the point spread. They affected the outcome of the game. And it's now to me in the same ballpark, excuse the pun of Pete Rose who did something worse. So if we're going to start forgiving Alex Cora or AJ Hinch or Carlos Beltran, why don't we lump Pete Edward Rose into that and start forgiving Pete? And maybe this will get everybody going in that direction.
0: Well, because it's a loose term there, connected, JT. You can, yeah, you can connect it to gambling, but you can connect everything that happens in sports to gambling. I think, I don't know if that's the strongest argument you've ever made for Pete Rose. I think the argument on its own, enough time has gone by, he's beloved, it would be good for the game, is the better argument for Pete Rose, because middle of America and the flyover states and the red states, etc., love. Pete Rose. And guess what? So do the blue states. Pete Rose is universally, ubiquitously loved. And I think that's the better argument. And and forgiveness. Okay, enough time has gone by. The better argument for Pete Rose than Connecting. Because, yeah, yeah, of course, this connection a lot of people lost with gambling and blah, blah, blah. But anything that happens in sports, whether it's cheating or not, in sports affects gambling. But the, the better argument, I think, is enough time has gone by mm-hmm. and people love them. So let them in.
1: One other point on this topic that a lot of people have asked me on the radio, and I want to include it on our podcast is. I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm not just a Yankee fan, I'm a diehard fan. And a lot of people have asked me, why aren't I furious that the Yankees got eliminated by these teams in 2017 and 2018? And Alex Cora at the parade when the Red Sox won mocked the Yankees uh, at the parade and really talked down to them. And I said, because as a Yankee fan, I believe that the Yankees are bigger than the Red Sox and the Astros and going back to all their championships and Babe Ruth in the history of the game. And I've always thought that the Yankees operated with excess. They have too much money, their salary, they spend too much on their payroll and all that. So the last thing I want to do is get behind a microphone and start saying, Oh, we would have won that world series and we got robbed and we could add two more. No, those teams won. They got the outs. They hit the home runs. They did enough on the field to win the game. So I'm not going to be a sniveling, whining Yankee fan complaining about it. But I will tell you what I learned this week, Tom, talking to fans, is that maybe we should take down the championships and take the championships away. Because Michael Reagan, Ronald Reagan's son, Mm -hmm. who we're friends with, called me the other day, and he's a really big Tour de France fan. Uh And he reminded me from listening to my show, he said, they vacated all the Lance Armstrong seven Tour de France championships. No one else won them. The guy who came in second did not come in first. So they just wiped it out and ripped them and stripped them away from Lance Armstrong. Tom, why can't we take away the 2017 World Series from the Astros and the 2018 championship from the Red Sox? Why not? Well,
0: I, I don't know why you can't. It's ridiculous. There are, the punishments, the, we're really slapping people on the wrist lately with punishments, and you know, I'm the more squishy of, of the two of us, but, you know, the pen, going back to the Penn State scandal, and how about USC? Let's take it further to make a college football analogy, is Reggie Bush got his parents a deal on rent, and they took away his Heisman trophy. Penn State had child rape that everybody knew about, including the legendary uh, Joe Patuto all the way up uh, to the president of the university, and they got a slap on the wrist over child rape at Penn state. If anybody ever in the history of any sport should have had their program taken away and their championships taken away, it was Penn state. But no, for some reason we don't do that anymore. We've gotten really gun shy with taking away championships and punitive penalties when it comes to sports. Why? Because of the money, because of the popularity of sports, I, I'm guessing that then that's what it is. We we worry too much about the wrong things when it comes to doing the right things about sports and punishing these franchises. Let's move on to the AFC and the NFC championship game. And the
1: reason why we have these teams here are for specific reasons, first off, Kansas city, as we start in the AFC, beat the Houston Texans in one of the most bizarre, exciting games 82 total points combined as the Chiefs came back and won by a score of 51-31 to in the divisional playoffs at Arrowhead. In that game, the Houston Texans, in the second quarter with 10.54 to go until halftime, decided to kick a field goal on a fourth and one to go up 24 to nothing and leave the door open for Kansas City because after that, there was a fake punt where Houston decided on a fourth and three instead of punting to go for it. Kansas City got the stop mm. and it went from 24 nothing to 24 to seven to 24 to 14, 24 21. And at halftime, Kansas City was leading 28 to 24. I believe. It's the greatest comeback in my lifetime in the first half because you remember Frank Reich versus Warren Moon. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the greatest comeback of all time, and that started in the third quarter to make it even more miraculous. But, Tom, what the Chiefs did in that game to bury the Texans was brilliant, and I believe that's going to lead them, that momentum and comeback, will lead them to a Super Bowl appearance.
0: It was incredible in this way as well, if you want to put it in the terms of radio listening, because that's where we come from. Uh, uh, my Saturday and Sunday job is as an anchorman at KABC in Los Angeles. And I'm off at 1230, approximately. I get in the car, and while I'm in the car, the Kansas City Chiefs are trailing 24 to nothing. By the time I got home through L.A. traffic, they were in front, 28-24. I got to hear it on the radio, which was pretty uh, fun. You know, a lot of fun. A lot of people wouldn't consider that fun, but I'm a radio guy. It was great hearing it, and the guys on Westwood One did a great job. And uh, when you, But when you take a look also, look, take, take a look forward and fast forward to this game with the Chiefs and the Titans, I think people need to remember the Titans already beat the Chiefs. Yes, I think it was in week 10 and it was 35, 32 and the Titans, we've already seen this show and the Titans are a lot better now than they were back then. Can the Titans do it twice? That's exactly what I wanted to
1: talk about. Our first name drop alert of the show of the podcast. Okay. So I got invited for this Titans, Kansas city game by Eddie George's agent. Oh, nice to go, to go to a cigar bar and that'll tie into my voice problems. You'll love this. <laughs> so I go to a cigar bar at Caesar's palace with my buddy, Jamie and Eddie George is there. And we went for the Niners game as the Niners just absolutely destroyed the Vikings. So Eddie George is there. And we're having some cocktails. We're smoking cigars and it was going to be a long day. And I don't like to commit to watching six, seven hours of football. I don't either. But instead of leaving, I looked at my buddy, Megamath, our buddy, Scott Flansburg, the human calculator. And I said, how could we ever leave Eddie George before the Titans are about to play? That's like the ultimate sign of disrespect. (laughs) Because Steve Steve McNair is dead. Eddie George is Mr. Titan. So I stayed through that game with Eddie George as the Titans destroyed. Really did. They dominated Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And what an experience as Eddie was standing up and getting down. And then people realized in this bar restaurant that the famed Eddie George was there. They were taking selfies with him. G- great group hug after the game. And I said, man, I'm happy. I got the invite to sit with this legendary Heisman trophy, winning running back this past year. He had his number retired along with the late Steve McNair. And I watched that game. So as we move on to the Titans, You mentioned earlier in the year they won 35 to 32. I've been breaking down those numbers all week long, and what was great about that game is the performances. Mahomes, coming off injury, had 446 yards passing, 446 and three (laughs) touchdowns, and oh, nothing. Ryan Tannehill threw for 181. The last two games he hasn't thrown for more than (laughs) 80. Uh, He had two touchdowns in that game, but Derrick Henry – Had 23 carries for 188 yards, Tom, and two touchdowns. And he was great there, and he's been even better in the postseason.
0: Well, since that week 10, we've got to take a look back in the hot tub time machine all the way back to that week 10. The Titans keep beating the teams that we keep saying are the best teams in the NFL. At that time, we were saying it was the Kansas City Chiefs, and all they needed was Mahomes back. And the Titans beat the Chiefs. Then fast forward to, to the... Kansas to the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens. And at that time, the Baltimore Ravens were the best team in the NFL and the Titans beat the Baltimore Ravens. Well, there's a pattern that's developing here. And the pattern that's developed is the best team in the NFL may very well be the Tennessee Titans. We just don't like to say it because their quarterback's not throwing for 400 yards and running around for 200, like every other team. Another point statistically on that game, a guy by the name of Tyreek
1: Hill, and think of all the problems he had in the offseason coming into this year, plus his injury. In that game, he had 11 receptions for 157 yards and a touchdown. And as the Titans beat Kansas City, I saw something that you normally don't see. Kansas City had 530 total yards in the game, and they had 37 minutes of possession. 28 first downs to the Tennessee's only 19. They blew them out of the water
0: statistically and the Titans won the game. Yeah. And the the same same thing happened with Ravens and Titans. The Ravens blew the Titans out of the water. Statistically Lamar Jackson had an amazing day. Statistically. Uh, within winking and not, of course, to the two interceptions. He wasn't throwing interceptions this year, but he had a, he had a great he had great numbers. So did the so did the Baltimore Ravens last week with the Titans keep winning on the scoreboard. So I just think we're blind to how good the Titans are, doing it in a different way, in a less flashy way than uh, the modern uh, zeitgeist seems to be in the NFL. Are we crazy to pick against the Tennessee Titans in the AFC championship game? Against this Kansas City Chiefs, I say yes. Yeah, I disagree with you, and wow. because here's why: the way that
1: Eric Bieniemy, who's calling the plays now, not Andy Reid, and the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule was a disaster. What a shame for all the great African American candidates yeah. that couldn't get an invitation to become a head coach. We'll, we'll continue to talk about that topic, but Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey showed no panic down twenty-four to nothing. I went back and watched that game the second time. Down 24 to seven, Mahomes and Kelsey were on the sideline standing up, going up and down the bench, firing up their teammates, which you typically don't see. From quarterback, you don't see Aaron Rodgers go from one end of the bench to the other, fired up. Oh, and no, nobody, nobody likes
0: him. His mother and father don't like him. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers <laughs> isn't like that.
1: Uh So they really got themselves <laughs> back into the game. But uh, keep I'll tell you, because Andy Reid took that next step, because if he would have lost that game, which he should have, I thought 24-0 for Bill O'Brien was good enough to win. It should be for every coach from Pop Warner through high school. When you're up 24 to nothing, go win the game. Don't don't collapse and give up 51. But I like the Chiefs to beat the Titans. Uh, so let's throw this out to our loyal podcast audience. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Kansas City 31, Tennessee 23.
0: Kansas City wins and advances to the Super Bowl. Derek Henry's had uh, his last eight games, the greatest eight games in the history of the national football league, which is a hundred years old. Uh, There's no stopping him. Derek Henry right now, he's hitting his stride. The Titans are hitting his stride coaching wise. The Titans are hitting their stride. Ryan Tannehill's never been better. And uh, the Tennessee Titans are, are are playing smash mouth football at a time when we were used to this new finesse game in the NFL. no, the old way is going to get it done for the Tennessee Titans, who are going to win twenty four seventeen. Tennessee twenty four, Kansas City seventeen. My upset special. You have brass balls to pick
1: that game that way. I give you a lot of credit for hey. that. Most, most uh, back of in week scared. ten,
0: the Titans beat the Chiefs, and, and, and the Titans are a lot better now than they were then. All right, so we got an opportunity
1: now to talk about another rematch: the rematch of Aaron Rodgers going to Santa Clara, not San Francisco. Santa Clara, uh, cuz it's 50 miles away from San Francisco and to go in there and get some redemption from the absolute worst performance of his career. Let me repeat that. This guy with multiple MVPs and a Super Bowl ring had the worst game of his entire career in the same building he's playing the NFC Championship game. In that game, Aaron Rodgers and they were awful against the Chargers. They played as bad but not as that yeah, they were worse in San Francisco, but they got hammered on the West Coast to the Chargers. In the game that I'm talking about against the 49ers, Aaron Rodgers barely threw for over a hundred yards in a football game. Aaron Rodgers are talking about threw for a hundred and four yards, averaging over 25 yards a quarter and one touchdown. And Jimmy Garoppolo was 14 to 20 for 253 and two touchdowns in that game. Devontae Adams, who's a superstar, had seven receptions for only 43 yards in that game. And their great running back that they have now, they they have a team that is loaded statistically. And none of their stat guys showed up in that game. Tom, how do you put the worst performance of your career behind you when you need to play maybe the best game of your career to
0: advance to the Super Bowl. Well, let me say one thing. The crowd's going to be into this game because, you know, they had attendance issues in San Francisco uh, and Santa Clara over the years. Yeah, not because they were in Santa Clara and not because the sun shines on the stadium all the time. (laughs) Everyone's hot. It was because the team was awful. Now the team's good. The Niners are good again. And, you know, it's a very sentimental town that's really into themselves. San Francisco is a great city that loves itself. And that place will be packed. That place will be loud. So the crowd will be really into it for the San Francisco 49ers, who are the far better team anyway. Yeah, both teams won 13 games in the regular season. But 49ers, I think they outscored their opponents by almost 200 points this year. It was like 160, 170. So uh, they're just the far better team. They're the far more, you know. They're, the 49ers are a lot more like the Tennessee Titans uh, in the NFC than than any team because they're really, really physical, gritty, tough. Uh, they're It's the same defense, unfortunately, for Aaron Rodgers he's going to have to play uh, mm-hmm. that, that kicked his ass uh, a number of weeks ago. So I don't think that the Green Bay Packers have a chance in this game. A chance. I think the the, uh, the Niners, they're already, you know, this is a championship game and the Niners are favored by seven and a half at this moment at the MGM Grand in Vegas. The Niners are favored by seven and a half, and they're going to win by a couple of touchdowns interesting i'm going
1: the other way here's
0: why Whoa. i'll tell you why you love the uh, media darling uh, the only you know there's no one on earth who likes aaron Rodgers except the media his mother doesn't like him his father doesn't like him his brother doesn't like him but the media loves aaron Rodgers. you're part of the conspiracy
1: here's why jimmy g's never played in a game like this before he beat kirk cousins which is pretty impressive because cousins beat drew Brees the week before Mm -hmm. so jimmy g got his first ever win in the postseason he only took two snaps his entire career in the postseason when belichick forced him to go into a game and brady almost shoot him away and he handed off the ball twice so he goes into the game against the vikings and he plays really well seattle i wanted to see the trilogy as we talked about between seattle and the 49ers we didn't get a chance to see it but here's why that's good Seattle's been injured for the last month. They were on their fourth and fifth string running back, Marshawn Lynch, going into that last game. Aaron Jones, the star running back for the Packers, this year ran for over 1,000 yards, tied for first in the league with 16 touchdowns. Devontae Adams coming off, get this, the history of Lambeau Field, the most yards ever in a playoff game, and two touchdowns. And Aaron Rodgers, completely healthy. They have three stars, Remember Aikman, Irvin, and Emmett Smith? Not at this level, but Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. not better than Troy Aikman, much better. Devontae Adams, not Michael Irvin, and no one's Emmett Smith. But their triplets are healthy and playing great and ready to go. I think the atmosphere is going to be too much for Garoppolo. I think there's going to be a strip sack, uh, sack fumble. I think he's going to throw an interception, if not a pick six. I think the, uh, the Packers are going to, fight their way to halftime, make adjustments, be down by three or six in the fourth quarter. And Aaron Rodgers is going to have the ball last. He's going to go the length of the field, throw a game-winning touchdown to Devontae Adams, and the Green Bay Packers are going to win 28 to 26, and it'll
0: be the Packers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. It took a long time, but I believe in Jimmy G. It took a long time. And against Green Bay in Week 12, he had 70% of his passes completed, uh, 13 yards per uh, per attempt. Uh, you know, I love my my quarterback rating, a 145.8 quarterback rating, this close to a mm-hmm. perfect a quarterback rating. And uh, he's got one of the game's best play callers as his head coach. So when you take a look at all those things, mixing that into the soup, and the 49er defense, we're not talking about defense. Great defense. This is the this is the postseason. Unfortunately, for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, they're playing the same defense that they played earlier in the season that killed them. Final score. San Francisco 49ers 30. Green Bay Packers 13.
1: Oh, that's a blowout. Yeah, that's a blowout. Nice call again. We'll remember those picks.
0: Killer inside the mind of Aaron Hernandez
1: and I wish we would have watched it all. I watched one chapter of it. You watched about the same. Holy crap. Is it riveting because we were on the radio and we had great contacts in Boston on the radio. I remember the night that story broke. I remember the name Odin Lloyd. I remember the trial. We got a lot of contact out of that considering our Boston audience. That was a, big story, and people can't forget how huge that was.
0: Yeah, but there are so many ingredients at the time that we are unaware of. Yeah. There's so many ingredients to this story, so many ingredients that turned him into a killer, a lot of ingredients that don't turn normal people into killers. And you know, a lot of people go through death and uh, sexual orientation issues and uh, different things in life, because his father died at a young age, and it really, uh, it really hit him hard. But there are other things that are bigger than those two ingredients that I just mentioned that really end up turning into him to a uh, turning him into a a ticking time bomb. And another thing that we didn't have access to, access to over all these years is the prison phone calls.
1: Yes, which, uh, from absolutely. Aaron
0: Hernandez to his wife and. Because I guess our taxes pay for those phone calls. We have access to them. We, the general public, and those phone calls are included in the documentary, and it's pretty riveting. And there's so much sports behind it from Bristol High School
1: down the road from Bristol, the home of ESPN, to Urban Meyer in Florida. Tim Tebow, lots of
0: Tim Tebow. Yeah, lots of Bill
1: Belichick. Yeah. All of that. That's why when we're done, we'll knock out possibly a separate podcast reviewing that. It was so far. It's incredible. It's riveting. And that got us to jump on this podcast quickly today. One of the things we were talking about off the air.
0: And, you know, when people talk about a suicide or uh, which this ended up being a suicide story, but uh, or a murder in this case or somebody becoming a murderer, it's one of those things where people don't see it coming. And people always say they didn't see it coming. And that's many times the wallowing in ignorance is what is also fascinating, as as many times many of us are when that issue comes to our life in one way or another. Normally, for more people, it's suicide than it is murder. But uh, talk about not seeing it coming. When his high school friends talk about him, it is just with such reverence about how kind he was and a class clown he was and how self-effacing he was for a young man. The joke was always on himself and teenagers usually don't like to have the joke beyond themselves. But he, he always found the funniest humor in the mirror. He was everything you'd want in a high school classmate. But then things went south fast. Oh, and JT, for people who don't know what I'm doing these days, let's give him a little taste.
2: A.M. 790. A, B, B.
0: Talk Radio 790 KABC News, live and local. I am Tom Looney. Welcome to the Golden Globes. Uh, oh, the Golden Globes are tonight. Santa Monica Boulevard will be closed at Wilshire most of the day. Tonight's festivities will be the first Hollywood Awards ceremony to serve an all-plant-based dinner. Liberal amounts of chili beet soup, wild mushroom risotto, and Brussels sprouts. And for dessert, vegan cake.
1: Let's move to the Golden Globes and Ricky Gervais. And the monologue, which in my which in my mind was the greatest monologue, number one in the history of award shows, and that says a lot because Bob Hope, Johnny Carson, Billy Crystal—I mean, celebrities, Mm -hmm. Ellen Galore have hosted award shows, the Academy Awards or the Golden Globes—and Ricky Gervais, with a warm beer right in front of him, looked at everyone in front of him, the liberal limousine liberals of. Los Angeles and Hollywood.
0: Eating vegan food for the first time.
1: Eating vegan food as (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow (laughs) was scolding everyone. And he went scorched earth when he told them all, don't come up here and start talking politics. Uh, Don't do this or that. And he did it in the beginning of the show, which I would have done before the last award at the end of the show, as my cheap shot on the way out. Bravo to Ricky Gervais, who said to everyone, We're done hearing about your political agenda. You know that that bothers me when Stephen Colbert is interviewing Elizabeth Warren. And Mm -hmm. I switch over to Jimmy Kimmel and he has a congressman on. Get your politics off my award shows and my late night comedy shows. I'm sick of it. And Ricky Gervais is my new hero.
0: Yeah. And I think that that should be the attitude. No matter what somebody's politics is, we do need a break. And it's Trump, 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 Trump. no matter where you look all day, because he's been brilliant his entire life at branding at branding. And so now he's got even people who don't like him keep saying his name. Well, if you don't like something or somebody and he keeps saying their name, you're giving them more and more and more publicity. So it's really self-defeating. And I think he really had a lot of balls to start off with that, because that's going to be after he did that, when anyone – who had a thought of saying something social political when they won their award? that was going to be in their head, and I think that's the way he designed yeah. it, and it's also. Uh, I mean, it appeals to the people who would like to watch the awards and don't want to hear about politics. It was a great way to open the show.
1: Yeah, I look at it this way. I think that award shows should be for natural disasters. And <laughs> let me explain. If there's a tsunami, <laughs> or if Australia's completely burning, or there has to do something with a flood or an earthquake, that I think everybody who wins an award should pray for those people and say, let's donate and do that. But when you're wacky Patricia Arquette and you get up there and you really want to spout your political agenda as you're getting a trophy, uh, just rip her off the stage. I don't want to hear that anymore.
0: You know, my philosophy about that uh, over all the years, and that is people all of a sudden when people become rich and successful, they mix up rich with smart (laughs) because everyone wants to hear what they have to say And it goes back to my Sting analogy. Sting and the police were great when they were singing do, 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 da, 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 da. Then Sting mixed up successful and rich with smart, and he started singing about whales, and the music (laughs) went right down the toilet. Uh, Get back to do, 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 da, 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 da. That's your lane, Sting. I don't have many
1: memories left because I lose brain cells being on the radio so much with Mm -hmm. headsets on. Well, that's
0: not what's losing your brain cells, but let's forge forth.
1: (laughs) One of the one of the one of the earliest memories I have is watching Johnny Carson with my grandmother and my mom. Mm -hmm. My dad was upstairs because he had to get up for work the next day, so I would watch with them. And then the Academy Awards. My mom and my grandmother, and for whatever reason, my favorite category was always Best Supporting Actor, and I didn't I didn't know why. Because I always thought that best actor, that was a grand big role. But the best supporting actor was always such a quick, vibrant role that just attacked the screen and came in. So a smaller role than a lead actor, but usually a role that I remembered more. And as we go to the best supporting actor coming up here, I am so excited that we have some of the greatest actors of all time, Tom, in this category. It's amazing to me.
0: Well, one of the things, too, that's great about the best supporting actor or the best supporting actress role is when you watch the Oscars, uh, they give away the best supporting actor, usually, first, right. right off the bat, in the first 20 minutes, and then they dance and sing for two hours. They let Rob Blow uh, do a Disney bit. Yes, and then, and then they finally start giving away the rest of the awards. So that's another reason why I've always liked the best supporting actor, uh, Award because we get to see it right away. There's something for the rest of us who aren't as into the singing and the dancing to see right out of the box. Your nominees for best
1: supporting actor, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Terrific. He took off his shirt on the roof. People went crazy from West Hollywood all the way through Nebraska to New York City. And I thought his role was great. Joe Pesci in The Irishman. Not only did I love that role, I think that role, we go crazy with him Mm -hmm. in Casino and Goodfellas. so good. He was so tempered down in this role, so quiet. I went back and watched The Irishman again. The second time around, I told my wife, my mind has been blown by Joe Pesci. Uh, Al Pacino in The Irishman, I don't relate to him as Jimmy Hoffa. I didn't connect with him in the movie as Jimmy Hoffa. I think this is more of a career achievement nomination again. Uh, And then we go to Anthony Hopkins in your favorite movie, The Two Popes. Oh, my favorite movie I saw this year. And then finally, this doesn't make sense, best supporting actor, Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah, it's like they're trying to
0: cheat and get him because because he's like Susan Lucci and he always gets nominated for Oscars, but he never wins. Uh, He's still great. You don't have to try to cheat to get him an Oscar. Uh, He played Mr. Rogers in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood that's not uh, – that's not a supporting role. So there's cheating right there. So you, he shouldn't get one vote because that's cheating. Al Pacino and Joe Pesci are probably going to, they were going to offset each other. You think what's going to happen here? I think that
1: Joe Pesci, you make a great point about canceling each other out. The yeah. Irishman has two nominees. I think Pesci should win. I think that Hollywood, and this is another one. I'm going to give it to you. And I know I deserve a little punch back, bite back. Uh, Brad Pitt pretended to have a beautiful family with Angelina Jolie. They went around and adopted kids from all over the world. We don't know they were, that he was pretending. They were, they, <laughs> were, no, because uh, then he fell in love with partying again. The marriage broke up. Uh, he's not talking to Angelina Jolie anymore. They have uh, you know, someone coming in there to uh, to talk between them. And I- I'm just amazed that now Hollywood, when Brad Pitt is the wild man again and rarely sees his kids anymore and making fun about dating anyone he wants, I think they're going to give him a trophy. Don.
2: I'm <laughs> amazed by that.
0: Shaping values for yeah. generations to come And you're probably right. There seems to be an affinity, even though that came out uh, much earlier in the year than the rest of the movies that seem to be hot right now. Once upon a time, a time in Hollywood may win the night, uh, an Oscar night. And I, I think you may be right, but uh, don't be surprised if the upset here is Anthony Hopkins and the two popes. Cause he was terrific. And so was that movie. And when you win an Oscar, the key is to win two. That's why I'm the
1: biggest fan, you know, of Daniel day Lewis. Oh, I'm yes. a huge fan. Here I am acting. Yes. And if you get multiple Academy awards, it puts you on a level Jack Nicholson where you can walk in a room and be a multiple winner.
0: Meryl Streep.
1: But, yeah. yeah. Don't sleep on Leo. If Leo gets it for once upon a time in Hollywood, after The Revenant, if he can get another one at his young age, we can be talking about one of the all-timers. You get to two, you can get to three or four in your 60s or oh. 70s. This is a big moment if Leo could steal the best actor because they're not going to give it to Antonio Banderas. They're not going to give it to Adam Driver. They're not going to give it to Jonathan Price in The Two Popes, who was excellent, but Joaquin Phoenix should run away with it, and I think Hollywood is going to reward Joaquin Phoenix for the Joker.
0: Oh, well, they might. They might. And it's between Joaquin Phoenix and Leonardo DiCaprio. You're right about that. And Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't need to win anything else to because he'll get two because he'll get a lifetime achievement Oscar at some point. So he will end up with two anyway. Uh Leonardo DiCaprio should probably already have about 5 Uh, Best Actor Awards right now. Uh, Catch Me If You Can was incredible. His first movie, he went toe-to-toe with Robert De Niro. How do you go toe-to-toe with Robert De Niro when you're 14? Well, when you're deeply, richly talented like Leonardo DiCaprio in This Boy's Life. A great movie and and as good a performance as he's ever given in any movie in his first movie in This Boy's Life. And so one movie after another over the years for Leonardo DiCaprio, and he should have more than one Academy Award, and he will end up with more than one.
1: The Upset Special, the one thing that could flip the Ox- Oscars upside down, and it really happens, is if an actor, I like uh-huh. to call them actresses, if an actress right. wins for Best Actress and Best Supporting, Scarlett Johansson, A Marriage Story, nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role, and then Scarlett Johansson, all right, Jojo right rabbit as best supporting if she can win both of those she would walk away as the biggest storyline at the academy awards you would agree
0: yeah and i don't think she's gonna do it but i think that would be you know, that would be a fun story and it would get the oscars a lot of publicity it wouldn't be fair give just spread about spread those awards out a little bit and uh I, that would be uh the story of the night though if that does happen and finally, as we get out of the movies
1: here, I just want to say that, again, I'm looking back at Hollywood, and they want it to be about themselves. It's like when you vote against Derek Jeter to be a unanimous Hall of Famer, when mm-hmm. you vote against Shaq to be unanimous. Sometimes Hollywood insiders love to say, my vote's different. My vote counts. I'm going to vote differently. And I'm hearing rumblings.
0: Parasite.
1: Oh. That
2: picture.
0: Parasite. Yeah, before you knock that, go see the movie.
1: I'm going to go see it. I'm going to go see it. But but if you're going to mess with Ford versus Ferrari, if you're going to mess with the Joker, if you're going to mess with Tarantino, and once upon a time in Hollywood, you better make sure Parasite with subtitles is good enough and great. Not good. It better blow me away that they're going to take away that gold statue from a lot of great pictures that could deserve it, especially Joker.
0: Well, that's like saying you know if they're giving awards for books, don't give anything too smart. Uh, there's this is this is a, this is a great film, and if you see a great movie that has subtitles, you don't even remember whether or not it had subtitles. I remember going to see the Motorcycle Diaries. It does help that I speak Spanish, but I went to see the Motorcycle Diaries, and I remember having to double check with who I saw the movie with uh, years a couple of years later to, to say was the Motorcycle Diaries in English or Spanish because it was so good. I didn't remember, and I think it was in Spanish, but I didn't remember whether it was in English and Spanish because it was so good, and I haven't seen Parasite yet, but my guess is if it's this good that, you know, in <laughs> Newsflash, when movies get nominated for Best Film, they're usually pretty good, that you won't even remember that it was in, uh, that it had subtitles, that it's so good, and everybody I know who saw it, who really likes movies, loved it. I haven't met a person who didn't like Parasite, but I'll, uh, I'll defend it better when I've seen it. This podcast, I love it so much because we
1: covered a baseball scandal, the AFC and the NFC Championship. Gave you a light preview for the Oscars. We talked about a documentary about Aaron Hernandez. I wanted to wrap it up with this. Our loyal... Listeners who download this podcast. Our next step is we're looking for someone to house this podcast. So we got a lot of people interested. Right. If you're in the podcast world and you'd like to be the home of the JT and looney.com podcast, uh, reach out to us on Twitter at jtthebrick at looney on Fox. Uh, find a way to get to us via email or just find a way to get to us on SoundCloud or Apple iTunes or just leave a comment after this podcast because we love doing it uh we were together for 14 years on the radio we want to do this more and more we're going in different directions in our lives with radio and satellite radio but we're going to come together we got some exciting news coming up and let's just keep tom pushing out this podcast because i love doing it with (laughs) you